Amen. All right, look at verse 16 of Psalm chapter 9. It says, The Lord is known by the judgment which He executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. And then in verse 17, it says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. First thing, what I want to talk about this morning is the justice of hell. And what I want to do in this message too, I want us to make sure that we fully understand the word hell because I'm afraid it's a word that has been corrupted very much by our world. And sadly today, many religions are, you know, they're stopping believing in hell. Many preachers today who do believe in hell, they don't want to preach on hell because it's something that it's you know it's an uncomfortable subject. But you know what? As believers, it is you know we ought to understand it's a reality. It's something that people are heading for, and it ought to it, the word hell it ought to scare people. It ought to cause people to fear. If you're a believer, the word hell it ought to sober you up a little bit, thinking about the fact that if you had died five seconds before you got saved, you would be in hell right now. You know, and Brother Josh during Sunday school was talking about thinking of reasons to sing. How about, and he mentioned, how about singing about the fact we're not going to hell? That's a great reason to start singing right there. To think that, you know, we are not going to have to ever experience the fires of hell. That's something that ought to cause us to start singing. You know, and we've always watched like, like musicals and things like that. We were talking about the other day. It was like, wouldn't it be nice to live in a world where people would just break out in a song and orchestras would start playing and everybody just sings together on these things? Wouldn't that be a great world? Well, you know what? When we think about the fact that we're not going to hell, I mean, that's exactly what should happen with us in reality. We ought to just like break out in a song and dance right there all together. It's probably not going to happen. We don't have an orchestra that can just play out of thin air. But that's how we ought to feel. Okay? And that's what... The thought of hell ought to do do to us, and it ought to it ought to sober us up a little bit. It ought to cause us to say, you know what? Maybe I should walk in the spirit as a Christian, so I could be more effective in leading people to Christ, so they won't have to go to hell. And we, it's, hell is something we need to talk about. And uh, evangelist Jack Parchman, he was a preacher that I grew up listening to. He's in heaven now, and he was somebody who preached on hell a lot. And he, I mean, he'd scare you when he would preach on hell. He was good at it. And one of the things he would always talk about is how hell is not a cuss word, you know. And he he would tell the story about how he had a girl come up to him one time after service, and she says, "You know, Brother Parchman, you cussed five times during church." And he was just like, "I did." And he was like, "What? What did I say?" And she said, "You said hell five times." And he's like, "Man, I got convicted." He's like, "I only said hell five times in the service." Is like I make I try to make sure I always say it a lot more than that, you know. He preached on it all the time. And that's always stuck with me. And you know, because of that, I always try to make sure I I devote at least one message to it every year. And uh, I got to think I was thinking about that this week, and I was like, you know, I probably should preach on this. And I, I want because one of the things when it comes to hell, there's a lot of thoughts that come to people's minds. There's a lot of definitions, and I'm afraid that misuse of the word hell has led to a lot of false thinking about this place. And so what I want to do is I want to I want us to show you know go, us to go to the Bible look at how the Bible talks about how the Bible defines it show how the word should be used and one of the things we need to understand about hell is it is not a cuss word all right it is and the world has made it like it's a cuss word because they don't want us talking about it you know and you say well they say it all the time yeah but they also misuse it all right and I don't believe it's a word that we ought to misuse 
I don't believe it's a word we ought to take lightly. I think it's a very serious word because hell is a various, very serious thing. But it's not a cuss word. We shouldn't avoid using it in our preaching. We need to talk about it, but we do need to talk about it and use it appropriately. Okay, for example, one thing I hear Christian people say a lot that they're just wrong when they say this, but have you ever heard somebody say that something is as wicked as hell? All right. Now think about it. They'll say that's as, that's as wicked as hell. Well, there's a problem with that. Hell is not wicked. The Lord is known by His justice. Hell is something that God came up with as punishment. So saying that something is as wicked as hell, that would be like saying that's as wicked as the death penalty. But wait a minute. I thought God instituted the death penalty. I thought that was something that was good. I thought that was something that was just. Now, hell is a horrible place. But it is not wicked. Wicked means wicked is something that is lawless. Okay, hell is something that it is. It is a just thing, and hell is not wicked. But hell is for the wicked. It says in Matthew chapter twenty-five, verse forty-one. It says then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So this is something that God came up with. This was something that God made for the devil and his angels. But you know, when we reject the gift of salvation, we go there too. You know why? Because we're wicked. We're sinful people too. And without salvation, that is where we belong with the devil and his angels. Why? Because we are wicked. And thank God when we get saved, Christ's righteousness is imputed unto us and we don't have to go there. But hell is for the wicked. And you know what? It's a just punishment. It's not taking things too far. I don't fully understand it. I can't fully comprehend it. But I believe that God does all things righteously. God does all things just. There is no wickedness in God. And God would not come up with a punishment that is wicked, that is overly severe. He's going to come up with something that is just and righteous. And when you think about hell, that ought to be a reminder to us about just how bad our sin is. Our sin is bad. It says in Psalm 9, verse 17, we read, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Psalm 55, 12 says, for it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it, neither was it uh, he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him, but it was thou a man might equal my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God and company. Let death seize upon them and let them go down quick into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. So we see again another reference to hell being a place. It's for the wicked. We say, well, we're all wicked. Yes, but I like what he said there. As for me, I will call upon the Lord and the Lord shall save me. And you know what? We are just as wicked as the rest of the world that's heading for hell. But the difference between us and them, it's not our works. It's the work of Jesus Christ. It's that we've received the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and we got it by faith. And hell is just punishment. And you know what? We shouldn't go around saying stuff is as wicked as hell. We're sending a bad message. You know why a lot of people say they don't believe in God? Well, I don't believe in a God that would send somebody to hell. As though that was a bad thing. As though that was unjust. As though that was wicked. It's like, well, why do people have this attitude that some... You know, that hell is wicked. Maybe it's because even Christian people are going around saying something's as wicked as hell. It's not though. It is just punishment. And so, 
we've got to make sure we are sending the right message. People have this attitude today that there should be no punishment for sins. Parents are that way with their kids many times. Society, you know, parents and society are supposed to be teaching people that there is punishment for sin. It says in Proverbs 23.13, says, "...withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell." Now, how does spanking your kid deliver them from hell? You know how come it does? Because when you spank your child, you're teaching them that hey, there's consequences for bad behavior. But you know what? If you're constantly just overlooking it, if you're constantly just letting it go, if you're constantly rewarding bad behavior, your child's going to grow up thinking, you know what? I can do whatever I want and there won't be any consequences. But you know what? The truth is, there are consequences for sin. And we might not get it from our parents. Our parents might drop the ball. Our society today is dropping the ball when it comes to righteous judgment or righteous punishment. For sin, our society is dropping the ball. But you know what? God's not going to drop the ball. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And you know what? Parents and society, we should constantly be reminding people there's consequences for sin. And when we do that, it's going to make it a lot easier when we try to tell other people, hey, you know what? Not only is there consequences for sin on this earth, but you know what? There's life after death. And there's even more consequences that are going to come later. But Jesus, when He hung on the cross, He paid the consequences for our sins. And you can either accept that payment or you can pay for all eternity in hell. And unfortunately today, people are like, I don't believe that. They don't think there's going to be any consequences for their sin. Why is that? Because society and even parents today were sending a false message by not punishing sin. And I like how the Bible says you'll deliver his soul from hell. So when people talk about hell like it's a bad thing, when people use hell in a bad context or say something as wicked as hell, where does that even come from? Because right? the way some people have justified it, look at James chapter 3. Once again, if I'm all for using biblical terms, but let's use them in a biblical way so as we do not pervert the message of these things. But in James chapter 3, verse 5, it says... Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. So right there, people say, see how the Bible's talking about a wicked tongue and how it can't be controlled, and how it's set on fire of hell. And so that's kind of where they get it from. Okay, But is this saying that hell is wicked anyway? Why is it saying the tongue is set on fire of hell? What is the context of it? Does, does this mean we just now get to use hell however we want, whenever we want? Look what it says in verse 7. Let's keep reading. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You know why the Bible said the tongue is set on fire of hell? Because what is the notable thing about hell fire? It's that it can't be quenched. It can't be stopped. 
We will see more verses about that. And so the Bible constantly talks about hell fire and the fire that cannot be, that cannot be quenched. And just like the fires of hell cannot be quenched, the tongue of man cannot be tamed. Y'all see that? So the context of it talking about the tongue being set on fire of hell is just saying it can't be stopped. Just like the fires of hell cannot be stopped. Is that teaching that hell is wicked in any way? No. It is not wicked. It is for the wicked. Hell is just. It is a righteous judgment of God. And it's a horrible judgment. But that should be a reminder of just how bad our sin is. So we've got to use this word right because today people have such terrible misunderstandings about hell because we hear that word all the time. When you go to work, you constantly hear that word. When you're watching the television, you constantly hear that word. And even sometimes Christian people, you know, trying to show, you know, use strong language and show how serious they are, they might use that word. But if they're misusing it, if they're creating a bad definition for it, they're going to start sending a wrong message with it. Because, you know, for example, too, we've just perverted all kinds of words today. You know, nowadays, if somebody tells you, man, that guy, he's so bad, that's actually a compliment, isn't it? You know, you would say, I'm so bad. Or, or if you do something really cool, man, that was wicked. You know, that's a compliment today. You know, if you do some really cool move on a skateboard, you know, check out this wicked move or, you know, we, do we not use words like that all the time? Now, that does, it kind of creates a problem because we're sending a bad message. And unfortunately today, the word hell is being thrown around in ways like that where we're sending the wrong message with hell that people think is bad. People think God would never send someone to hell. Why? Because God is love. God is righteous. God is holy. Well, yes, God is all those things. God is righteous. God is holy. Therefore, that He would send people to hell because that is exactly what we deserve. But people aren't getting that, and so we've got to make sure we keep it. We got to keep these things right. So, an interesting fact too. I want to I want to share this with you too, just to help you understand hell a little bit. An interesting fact about heaven and hell is they're not capitalized in the Bible. Okay. Like most of the time today when people talk about heaven or they write about they write about they would capitalize the words like you would a place. Like if I was to cap talk about Rock Falls, I would capitalize Rock Falls. Why? Because it's the name of the town. Why isn't hell or even heaven for that fact or that it's it's not capitalized in the Bible. The only time you see the word hell capitalized in the Bible is if it's at the beginning of the sentence. Or one time in Revelation 6, verse 8, it says, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. So we see that it's, it kind of... It's symbolic there. It's talking about during the tribulation. It talks about hell following after death. Now, why is that? Because of the fact that hell is where the dead go. Alright? And I'll say more about that in just a little bit. But we don't see the word capitalized just because hell is basically like... For example, if I was, if I was at home and I was you know, in a sentence, if I was to say, I'm going to go to town. I wouldn't capitalize town, would I? But if I say I'm going to go to Rock Falls... I would capitalize that, wouldn't I? Why? Because that's a name given to it. 
Alright? So a town, that is, you know, that's just a that's a regular noun, it's not a proper noun. And you know, town, you know, it has a definition. You know, we usually when we talk about going to town, we're talking about going where all the stores are and where a lot of people are and where a lot of the businesses are. Well, hell, it's not necessarily a name of a place. Hell is just what it is. Okay? Hell is fire. Hell is judgment. Hell is torment. It's not necessarily given a name. It just is something. Same thing too with heaven. We always, you know, refer to heaven as a, uh, as a place, and it is a place, but heaven is kind of a, a thing too. Heaven is what it is. Heaven is, you know, where God is. Heaven is, uh, you know, is, is a place of, that's just, that's wonderful, where there are no problems and things like that. And so just kind of a, you know, interesting thing, but the, the fact that hell is not a title, that alone, it bunks this whole idea of there being a good part of hell called, you know, the, you know, that there was a good part of hell called Abraham's bosom. You know, because people will say, well, when the Bible says Jesus' soul went to hell, it was actually Abraham's bosom, this good part of hell. Well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense because hell is not a title given to a place. Hell is something. Hell is fire. Hell is torment. Hell is, and you go, you can read every verse in the Bible about hell and you will not see one positive mention of it. It's always talking about fire. It's always talking about judgment. And so when the Bible says, thou shalt not leave my soul in hell, there's no way you can just take that and say it's just some good part somewhere. No. Hell, it's not necessarily a place. It is a thing. It is torment and it happens to be in a place, but hell is just, is actually just a thing. And also, the fact that hell is not a title, it also debunks all the false teaching that people bring up when they want to refer to the Greek and Hebrew to try to disprove things about hell. It's like, well, it's actually talking about Hades. Or that's actually talking about Sheol or Tartarus. And they'll, they'll start bringing up all these names of places. But the thing is, as far as I'm concerned, you can call hell whatever you want it, seeing that it's not necessarily given a title, as long as when you're talking about it, you're talking about a place of fire and suffering and torment. You know, call it whatever you want. You know, call it Detroit or you know, call it you know whatever place you don't like. You can go ahead and call it whatever you want, but just understand that you know it. That's not a title given to it, where you can kind of then make it whatever you want. No. Hell is something specific. Hell has a definition and it's fire and it's torment and it's a place of judgment. And so, uh, you know, hell, you know, and hell doesn't necessarily really need to have a name because there is only one. You know, we don't name this place where we're at, we don't name it town because there's many towns, aren't there? So we give it a specific name to distinguish it from other towns. We've got Rock Falls. We've got Sterling. There's towns all over the place. Or, or cities, the same thing. You know, there's many cities. So we give them proper names to distinguish them. But at the same time, if we just refer to this place as town or city or whatever, it's accurate. But with hell, it's not really given a name because there is only one hell. And it's not given a specific title because there is only one hell. If there was only one city then there would be no reason to name all the cities, would there? We just call it, let's just go to the city. But there are many cities, therefore we give them proper names, and there is only one hell. And hell is 
fire. Let's look at the first mention of hell. The very first time we see the word hell in the Bible is in Deuteronomy 32, verse 22. It says, For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth, and with her increase, and set on fire the foundation of the mountains. In Mark chapter 9, verse 43, I'm going to be going through a lot of Scriptures. You can try to follow if you want. But it says, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Once again, you can't stop the fire of hell. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter into life halt than having two feet than to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. And if thy uh, where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And it just keeps mentioning that. Where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. You can't stop the fire of hell. And then the last time we see the word hell in the Bible is in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. It says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The first mention of hell, the last mention of hell, fire is mentioned. Hell is a place of fire. Hell is always a place of fire. And... Hell is also eternal judgment. Revelation 14, verse 11 says, "...and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name." I wish I could stand here and tell you that hell wasn't eternal. There's a lot of people that try to teach that. There's a lot of people that try to teach it's temporary or it's a place where you just you know you go and you burn up and then you just cease to exist. I would love to get up here and tell you that that was the truth, but I can't. Alright? As much easier as that would seem, and as much more pleasant as that would be to preach, that's not the reality. Hell is something that is eternal, and you know, and hell is not separation from God. Okay, it's the, that that is a teaching that's another false teaching that people have come up with. You know, the worst thing about hell is that you'll be separated from God. Well, first off, we don't see that in the Bible. Second of all, you know, that's just hell is torment. You know, we we're supposed to scare people with this stuff. It ought to be scary. It ought to be something that we fear, and we've got to stop sending the wrong message. You know, and so because where is hell? Well, Job eleven eight says it is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell. What canst thou know? Heaven is above. Hell is beneath us. Job 26.5 The dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. Hell is naked before Him and destruction hath no covering. Now, it's interesting about that too. When it comes to hell, while it's beneath us, while we can't see it, isn't it interesting how hell is naked before God? In other words, God sees everything that's going on in hell. In other words, it's not separation from God. It says in Psalm 139, verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. So notice he mentions ascending up into heaven. You know, and what's the opposite of that? You know, making his bed in hell that's beneath, and you know what? God is everywhere, and you're not going to be separated from God there. We're going to be judged in the presence of the Lamb and of the holy angels or the people who are cast into hell. Uh, Proverbs 15.11 says, Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the heart 
lusts of the children of men. Listen, if hell is seen by God, something that is far beneath us, something that's in the heart of the earth, and if that's naked, if that's open to the eyes of God, you're crazy to think that God can't see the sins that are in our heart. He sees it. He can see right through us. Isaiah 14, verse 9 says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee. Even all the chief ones of the earth, it hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. And then if you jump down to verse 13, it says, For thou hast said in thine heart, talking to Lucifer, I will ascend into heaven. I ascend into heaven, going up. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Amos 9.2 says, Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. So hell is a place that is beneath us. It is a real place. And hell is a place where the dead go. Okay. Now I want you to pay very close attention to this, all right? Because this is one of these things that you gotta, uh, you know, you gotta kind of think about a little bit. But hell is where the dead go. Okay. Now, so what happens when I die? Well, when I'm talking about dead, and often when the Bible talks about dead, it's not just talking about a physical death. Okay. Because the Bible says when we get saved, we have eternal life, don't we? Well, if we have eternal life, then there is no point ever when we're dead, is there? We have eternal life. Now, we will still have a physical death, but that is different. Alright? The dead that I'm talking about right now, that is where those who are dead physically and spiritually go to. Okay? The people who go to hell are those who are dead physically and spiritually. Often in the Bible, you'll see it refer to saved people as being dead, but it's only talking about it physically. Often, too, in the Bible, I'm going to show examples. You know, the Bible talk about how a saved person never dies. Why? Because in the eyes of God, a saved person is never dead. Okay? So let's go and let's look at some of these scriptures. We obviously don't have time to go through every example of this. But let me let me show you something. So, who are in hell? All right, it's the dead. All right, not just not physically, the spiritually dead that are in hell. It says in Proverbs five five, her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. It's Proverbs seven twenty seven, her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Talking about the strange woman. This is a terrible place. It's a wicked place. That house, it's the way to hell. It says in Proverbs 9.13, A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are the depths of of hell. So those who are saved, we can only die physically, not spiritually. It says in John three fifteen that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Alright, y'all get that. We will never perish. Okay? 
we will never perish. That's, the Bible tells us that over and over again. If you're saved, you'll never perish. Okay, keep this in mind because I'm going somewhere with this. John 11.23. This is after Lazarus has died. Lazarus, he's been dead for four days. And he's dead to the point his body's even seeing corruption. Unlike Jesus, who he was dead for three days, yet his that his Holy One did not see corruption. He wasn't dead long enough for his body to see that corruption. Lazarus was dead long enough. He was dead for four days. And Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. Believest thou this? Alright, you all see that? Jesus said this. He said, if you live and you believe in Me, you'll never die. We'll never die. Why? Because we have eternal life. Okay, now we obviously is not talking about a physical death here because he's saying all this in the context of Lazarus who is physically dead. But he said, hey, if he believes in me, he'll hear me and he'll live. You know, he that liveth and believeth in me, they'll never die. That's what Jesus said because a saved person whose body dies, they're not dead to God. The Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Okay? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So God does not see us as dead. The world might call us dead, but God does not call us dead. We are not dead. Okay? So, uh, saved people are often referred to as sleeping in the Bible. That is actually a more appropriate term for a saved person who is physically dead. It would be appropriate for us to say that they sleep. Why? Because a saved person who is dead is going to rise again. They will rise again physically. Matthew 9.24 He said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, this is Jesus talking, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. Okay, She was, she was physically dead. But Jesus didn't call her physically dead. He said she sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn because it was clear she was dead. But you know what? He said she sleepeth. Why? Because she's going to rise again. And she did rise again. First Timothy 4.13, or First Thessalonians 4.13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. So, well, if we, if we say they're sleeping, we might get the wrong idea because that's what we say when we go to bed at night. Okay, let's call it sleeping in Jesus. Okay, They're not dead, but they are asleep in Jesus. That loved one that dies, they're not dead. They just went to sleep in Jesus. We can say that. You know why? Because they're going to rise again. And we're supposed to comfort each other with that. And you know what? It was the same thing in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. Psalms 116, verse 15 was where it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Matthew 22, verse 31 says, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, 
I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus said this to the Sadducees who didn't believe in a resurrection. They did not believe in a spirit. They did not believe in any of these things. And Jesus brings up the story where God speaking to Moses at the burning bush said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And right there, Jesus said, that is proof that there is a resurrection because God is not the God of the dead. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all dead when God said that to Moses, physically. They were all dead. But God said, I am their God. Why? Because they were living. They were living. They were in heaven with God while Moses was at the burning bush. Even before the cross, unlike the dispensationalists like to teach, they didn't go to heaven until after the cross. No, they went to heaven even in the Old Testament. Why? Because they had the promise of the cross. And when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. So saved people went to heaven in the Old Testament too. They didn't go to a good part of hell. There's no such thing as a good part of hell. There never was. So Jesus Christ, and this is interesting. Look, look what it says in Revelation 1.5. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Now, there's a, a pretty typical explanation for this verse that I think is probably right, but I actually think there might be a little more to it. It says in Revelation 1, 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the princes of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Jesus Christ is referred to as the first begotten of the dead. Now, why does it say that? Because... Many people were raised from the dead before Jesus rose from the dead, weren't they? Okay. Now, one difference between Jesus when He was raised from the dead and everyone else, and this is the most common explanation, I, think, I don't think there's anything wrong with this, I think it's right, I've used it before. Jesus, when He rose from the dead, never to die again, didn't He? Lazarus, when He rose from the dead, He eventually died again later, didn't He? That little maid that Jesus rose from the dead... Raised from the dead? She eventually died again later, didn't she? Everyone that ever rose from the dead all eventually died again later. But you know what? I think there's a little more to it when the Bible calls Jesus the first begotten from the dead. Because in verse 18 of Revelation 1, look what it says. It says, I am He that liveth and was dead. Jesus said, I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus Christ, He says, I am He that was alive and was dead. Did you know that Jesus Christ is the only person that ever rose from the dead and got out of hell? Think about that. Everyone else that we ever see that was raised from the dead, they were all saved people. It was always saved people that were raised from the dead, Jesus Christ is the only one who was ever raised from the dead who had gone to hell. He's the only one. So I think that's one of the reasons it calls Him that too. He's the only one that was ever pulled out of hell. The only one that ever happened to. Why? Because He's the only one who ever went there in innocence. He's the only one that ever went there that was righteous. So we say, why did He go there in the first place then? Why? He went there because on the cross He died the death of a sinner, didn't He? He went there to taste of death 
for every man. It says in Psalm 16.10, this was prophesied, it says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Let me show you this. In Acts chapter 2, a lot of people get all uh, bent out of shape when you talk about this, but listen, the Bible's very, very clear on this subject. I had a guy the other day, you know, you're saying Jesus, you know, he he went to hell with the queers and with Judas. That's listen, if Jesus hadn't paid for our sins, that's where we would have gone to hell with the queers and everyone else, with Adolf Hitler, yeah, with, with all those people, that's where the wicked go. Okay? That is where that is where we were supposed to go. It's like that makes it sound so much worse when you bring up who's there. Well, he's also going to go to he went to the same one that the religious grandma who is trusting in her works goes to. You know? I mean, bring up whoever you want. Alright? There's only one hell. Okay? There is only one hell. There's no such thing as a good hell. But look what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Alright, now, no, I've never had anybody explain to me that does not believe Jesus went to hell what this means. Because what is it we usually say when somebody dies? And goes to heaven. Their suffering's over. Isn't that what we usually say? Isn't it a horrible thing when somebody's dying some horrible death and they're in a lot of pain and just struggling? A lot of times we are relieved to see them go because they, you know, we're just glad their suffering's done. Okay? But listen, Jesus, like the dispensationalists teach, he went to good hell or paradise, which doesn't even make sense. If that's where he went, then how come he had to be loosed from the pains of death? You know why? What does the Bible say? For the wages of sin is death. Okay? The wages of sin is not just suffering. Okay? It's not just suffering pain, even though Jesus, he suffered pain on the cross for us, but it wasn't enough that he just suffered. They couldn't just let him suffer and then all of a sudden just stop it and then, you know, let him heal up. No, they had to take it all the way. He had to go all the way to death. And He died on that cross. He died as payment for our sins. His death was payment for our sins. The Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. Everybody likes to scream, it is finished. He said it is finished. But the Bible says after that, He gave up the ghost. You know, He had to die. And He did die. And He had to resurrect from the dead. And He did resurrect from the dead. But you know, And God did that loosing the pains of death because it was not possible that He should be holding of it. For David speaketh concerning Him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt Thou suffer Thine Holy One to see corruption. There's, well, I, had, I had a dispensationalist tell me one time, well, that was David talking about himself because you know, God was going to get him out of good hell. You know, God took him out of paradise. Well, let's keep reading. Thou hast made me known the way of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his sepulchre is with us 
unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. He's saying, hey, listen, David wasn't talking about himself. His sepulcher is still here. You can go find his bones in that sepulcher. David was a prophet. And this is something that he foresaw, understanding that from the fruit of his loins, the Messiah was going to come. And when David wrote this, he wasn't writing about himself. He was writing about Jesus Christ. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. So there's no two ways about it. Jesus went there. Why? Because the dead go there. And the Bible says that He made payment for our sins. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid that for us. So Jesus had to actually die. Jesus had to actually go where the dead go. He had to taste of death for us. And that is what He did in those three, in those three days that He was there. In order for someone to die, they have to actually be dead. And Jesus was dead. And that right there... That teaching, one of the reasons it's just kind of gone on the back burn a lot of churches, one, it makes people uncomfortable, but two, it, it destroys dispensationalism if you take away their fantasy land of you know, good hell. And it also it, it destroys all these modalist people too when it talks about Jesus actually being dead. They, that, and that's another subject for another day. They, I haven't even heard them try to explain that. It's, uh, they, and it's because they can't. So... They have to avoid it. So God has already proven that He is serious about hell. Hell is not a threat. Hell is a reality. Okay? God was so serious about hell, He allowed His Son to go there and taste the death force. Think about it. God made hell for the devil and his angels. God made it horrible knowing one day His Son was going to have to go there to pay you know, as part of paying for our sins. He was going to have to taste of death for us. Because we were going to sin, His Son was going to have to go suffer a horrible death on the cross and be made a sacrifice for our sin. And then His soul was going to be made an offering for sin as it was prophesied in Isaiah. That is what the Bible clearly teaches. And God did that anyway. Why would God do it? Because that's what had to be done. Because it's just. This is not Hell is not an extreme punishment. Hell is exactly what we deserve. And thank God Jesus Christ was willing to taste of that for us. And God has already proven He's serious about it. There's another teaching out there, you know, that teaches that, you know, eventually we're all just going to be saved. And I've had people say that when I'm not souling. You know, I, I believe we're all going to, everybody's just going to go to heaven eventually. Eventually grace is going to win and just everybody's going to go to heaven. Well, then why did God say this in 2 Peter verse, chapter 2 verse 4? It says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. You know what he's saying? Hey, listen, if God threw the angels in hell that sinned, He'll throw you into hell too. That's what he's saying. God's already proved that He's serious about hell. He's already thrown some angels in there. So yeah, you're going to go there too. Revelation 20 verse 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So thank God that 
we don't ever have to worry about that. But once again, we see this, this is something that's in the future. God's Word always comes to pass. He always keeps His promises. And it's very clear that there will be many, 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 many that will be cast into hell. And so, how do we avoid this judgment? Well, I like what it says in verse 6 of Revelation chapter 20. It says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. So the Bible says those who are in the first resurrection, they will the second death has no power over them. So what do I have to do to be a part of that first resurrection? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. You know, we got a lot of people today, they like to talk about the cross, and I'm 100% for talking about the cross. They don't want to talk about the death and the resurrection. They don't want to talk about that. But what does it mention right here? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the Word of the Lord. This isn't my words. I'm not just telling you this to make you feel good. I'm, what I'm about to say right now, He's saying this is from the Word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself should descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The way that we have part in the first resurrection is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we put our faith and trust in what He's done, He's done in His death, burial, and resurrection, the second death has no power over us. We will be priests and kings with God. We will reign with Him for a thousand years. Just by believing in Him, just by that, we can escape the damnation of hell. We can escape the fires of hell. It can have no power over us. We will never taste of death. Why? Jesus Christ did it for us. Because the wages of sin is death. I will physically die one of these days. Physically speaking, unless I survive to the rapture. I will physically die one of these days. But according to Jesus Christ, I'll never die. Why? Because Jesus Christ, He is, he, he is the one that was dead. But He is alive forevermore. Jesus Christ, when He died... Well, you know what he did? He conquered death, didn't he? What it say in Revelation? It says he has the keys of hell and of death. Okay. Now, you know, there's some nut jobs out there talking about, oh, you know, he didn't suffer in hell. He just go, went there to go get the keys. All right, like, like he had to go find the devil down there and go steal his keychain with his keys, and then go unlock the gate and get out that way. All right. Now, when I was in Israel, they had a statue of Peter there. 
I remember. And in that statue of Peter, he's he's holding the keys because Jesus talked about giving him the keys and all all this stuff. And but was I don't believe Jesus went and literally got a set of keys when he was down there. All right, what's that talking about when it says that he has you know the keys of hell and death? He has these things because the the fact that he lived that perfect sinless life because he made the sacrifice for sin and because he conquered death in his resurrection, he now has all power. He has all authority to raise us up from the dead spiritually. He has the power to save us and to bring us to heaven. And He has the power to one of these days call us up out of our graves and catch us up into heaven. He has the power and the authority to do all those things with the Word of His mouth. Why? Because of the fact He lived a perfect life. He paid the payment for sin. He died on the cross. He conquered hell. I don't think that's talking about Him just going down there and finding the keys and getting a literal set of keys. All right, The key that He had was His resurrection, His sinless life, His perfect body, the Word of His mouth. I don't think He's ever going to actually use a set of keys. I, I, think, that's, uh, I think that's pretty clear. And unfortunately, there's, just, there's people that they get, go off into these weird things to avoid the clear truths in the Bible. And some of these people, if you know what I'm talking about, it's, just, it's literal insanity. You know, they're off their meds. But at the same time, Salvation, it is such a simple thing for us. Because Jesus did all the hard stuff on the cross. And hell, it is, it's a place of justice. And it's a place that we all deserve to go to. And thankfully though, we don't have to. Jesus paid the penalty of our sin for us. And the penalty that He paid, it was just. It was not excessive. It was a just payment. And Jesus Christ made it in a good way. He didn't take any shortcuts. He didn't take any shortcuts. He did it. He didn't cheat. He did it right. He did it just. And hell is a horrible, horrible place. But it is, it is a place of justice that thank God we, have been, we will be spared from because of Jesus Christ. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for sending Your Son. We thank You for paying the penalty of our sins. Lord, what a, what a thought it is to... Uh, when we think about hell and what was what we were heading for and what we deserve, and just Lord, it's it's uh, amazing that all we have to do is just trust in you and accept a free gift to get out of it. But that is your plan, and Lord, I pray you'll help us to uh, continue trying to spread that word so people can avoid the fires of hell and they'll never have to experience that second death. We thank you for dying for us and for conquering death on on our behalf. In your name, we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.